Hey, if you got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20 is where we are going to be. We just have a couple weeks left in this series. What I want to talk to you tonight is about how God sanctifies. Everyone say, God sanctifies. God sanctifies. This word sanctification, really the only time we ever use this word in, is in church. We never really talk about sanctification outside of church. And so I want to give you a simple definition for what this word means, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you have a phone that you're taking notes on, write this down. Sanctification, it simply means this, that God is making us to become who he has already made us to be in Christ. God is making us to become who he has already made us to be in Christ. If you were here last week with Pastor Mark, he made a really important point that I hope you caught. Far before God gives Israel the law, far before God gives any commands for how Israel is supposed to live, as we're reading the Exodus story, God makes a choice to save Israel. And salvation preceded any form of obedience or walking with God. And so what we talk about in the Christian world is that we experience or we have justification. Everyone say justification. Meaning that when we give our lives to Christ, we have been made right before God, not based upon what we do, but based upon what Christ did. And now, if you've given your life to Jesus and you go, I still struggle with sin. I'm, I'm still wrestling with things that I was wrestling before I gave my life to Jesus. What you are in now is the process we in the church call sanctification. God is making you to become who he has already made you to be in Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. But first, I want to take a little bit of a different approach in reading the text tonight. If you've grown up in church, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Others might call it the Decalogue, okay? And this is the moment that we are at in Exodus. Moses is receiving the law from God, and this is Israel listening. So instead of following me along, I want you to bow your head. I want you to bow your head, and I just want to read this over you best you can. I know that the second you close your eyes, it might be easy to get distracted. I just want you to listen to these words. Exodus 20 Verses 1 through 21, it says this, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you 
or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. I can't get over the opportunity that we have to sing those words. We love you. You are worthy of any amount and every amount of affection from us. Every amount of attention, every cost, every ounce of energy, our hands being raised, our knees on the ground, our voices being lifted, you're worthy of it. We thank you for the privilege that it is to get to open up your word. So Lord, I welcome your presence here. And I pray that you would have your way. I pray that you would speak to us individually tonight. Lord, I thank you that you're a personal God. You care about the life of every single man and every single woman in this room. And you don't take it lightly. You love us deeply. You care for us deeply. You see all of us. There's something to be said about the way that you care for your people. And so Father, I pray that as we engage with your word for just a little bit of time here tonight, you would transform us evermore into the image of Jesus. That over the course of the next 30 minutes, myself would decrease, my friends would decrease, and you would increase. And Lord, apart from decreasing, we cannot be dependent on you. And without dependence on you, we cannot be intimate with you. So my prayer tonight is that every single one of us would experience intimacy with you. And we don't look to ourselves to produce that. We look to you to do that. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you can agree with that tonight, can you say amen? Amen. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Let me see you raise your hand if you have. Ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. 
This is, this is something that like you learn in uh, children's ministry. This is something that if you grew up likely in a Christian home, it's something that's talked about. The Ten Commandments, like what, what are these commandments? Kind of the way Israel was supposed to live. And normally when we start talking about the Ten Commandments, oftentimes this can be the moment where you might roll your eyes in Scripture. You might kind of go like, okay, yeah, I know all the things that I'm not supposed to do. I know all of like, like the 10 commandments is that reminder that like there are things in my life that like I can't do, or maybe it's the reminder in your life where you're like, I'm really like not that great of a human being because you see everywhere where you fall short. And I want to suggest to you this evening that there's more to the 10 commandments than might originally meet your eye. There's something to be said about these words from the Lord that I think are really sacred and hear me are really life giving. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, I think it's important for us to ask the why. Everybody, most of the time, if I, if I had to just ask you like I just did, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Almost anybody can raise their hand because they've heard of the Ten Commandments before. So we know the what. Some of you might be able to stand up here and quote them all ten to me in order, right? Like we, we usually know the what, but rarely do we, do we begin to scratch on the Why? Why did God give us this? Why did God give Israel the law? And if you've been around church for a good majority of your life, if you've ever kind of opened up this book on the front half of the book and you read, you go, it kind of seems pointless that he gave 10 commandments because they are terrible at following them. Like Israel is really, really bad at obedience. They're really, really bad at like listening and like kind of taking to heart. I mean, if you just continue to read, it's not very long after they craft a, a, a golden calf and, and kind of use it as this idol to worship right after God gives these words. So you're like, okay, what is, what is going on with Israel? So I think it's important for us to ask the why. Mark said something last week that like, I think resonated really well with the room. I don't know if you caught it, but he said, you're a generation that values authenticity. Like you value people being authentic. And I really respect that about your generation. Like you really care about people and yourself being real. You want people to be consistent. And if you don't understand the why for something, your generation probably more than most is like, I'm not gonna do it. And that's good on you. I think it's important for us to understand the why. When we look at the 10 commandments, if you break them down kind of into two parts, you have the first four commandments as an invitation into our relationship with God, right? Mark went over these last week where I was like, okay, we're gonna love the Lord our God. We're gonna have no other gods before him. We're not gonna craft any idols. We are not gonna take his name in vain. Like, it has something to do with our relationship with God. Then when you go to the latter six, it has everything to do with our relationship with other people. And I want you to catch this. What God is doing here is he's saying, look, unless you get your relationship with me right first, your relationship with others will be completely out of order. Are you with me? Everything matters first in our personal walk with God before we look anywhere else or to any other relationship. We will only relate to other people with the way we relate to God. Are you with me? If we see God to be a judgmental God, a critical God, and this is the way we relate to God, that's the way we're gonna relate with other people. Are you with me? If we see God as a gracious God, as a loving God, as a compassionate God, 
we will be much more prone to love, embrace kindness, and be compassionate with other people. Are you following? Are you following me? So the question is, why did God give us this law? Why did he give Israel the law? Why did he give the people of God the law? There's a couple answers that I want to give to this tonight. Originally, I was going to break it down into four points, but then as we were worshiping, I was like, oh man, there's so much more that I need to say that I can't break this down into points. So I want you to just kind of bear with me, okay? We're going to move quick tonight. First reason why I think God gives us the laws, hear me. I think the law reveals God as our ultimate authority. Are you with me? If I'm going to give you something that you have to follow and I get to define those parameters, what that means is that I'm the one who has the ability and the say to say what's right and what's wrong. Are you tracking with me? So here's, here's what we're saying in the Christian faith or here's what Israel's having to say. Is Israel's having to say, we don't have the luxury of getting to live our own truth. What God is saying is that when all of the nations in, in the wilderness and as you enter into the promised land, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, like when they look upon my nation, I want them to see that you are not a people who gets to define what's right and what's wrong. When people ask you what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's up, what's down, what's left, what's right, you tell them that I am the Lord, your God. You tell them that the one who was and is and is to come defines those parameters. Now, this is a hard pill for us to swallow, especially in the cultural moment we're in right now, right? Because all you need to do is, is, is pull up your social media feed or turn on the news to go, everything that we are hearing in the world right now is saying, live your best truth. Do what's best for you. Don't let anybody tell you that what they think is best for you is what's best for you. You just simply do what's best for you. Brothers and sisters, hear me. The Christian faith is a faith of submission and obedience. We don't get to define those parameters. This is, this is some of those moments. Here, here's some of the areas where this is getting hot in our culture right now. Sexuality. Right? Where... We can see this as a tender topic and hear me, oh my goodness, there's so much that goes into this conversation. Hear me, that has to be led with compassion, that has to be led with grace, that has to be led with understanding. But here's the thing, when we come to talking about our sexuality, whether you're in this room right now and you're gay or you're straight, whether you're in this room right now and you identify as a cisgender, the gender, the, the biological sex that you were born with, transgender, gender dysphoric, doesn't matter. Gay, straight, cisgender, transgender, wherever in between, what the people of God are saying is we submit all of that to God. We do not get to define what's best for our lives. What the Ten Commandments and what the law is saying is that God is going, I'm the one who gets to define what's best. And you're gonna have to trust me. You're gonna have to trust me. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I'll show you the way to live life that is best. It's not easiest, but it is best. This is the invitation of the gospel. When we come to the law, when we begin to talk about the law, we have to begin with realizing, wait a minute, the, that God is giving the Ten Commandments. In other words, he's asking for a submission and obedience from his people. Yeah. 
And this is where we'll, we can, you can start talking about free will and all of these sorts of things. But even if you wanna talk about free will, you can't separate free will from obedience to the Lord. Are you with me? The invitation of the gospel is for us to say, okay, as a follower of Jesus, what I'm gonna make a proclamation of with my life is that I submit to one ultimate authority and that ultimate authority is not myself. It's not myself. That's the first thing that the law does. That's why God gave the law. He wants, to, he wants you to know he's the one in charge. But hear me, it doesn't just stop there. He's got you. Second thing, why do we have the law? Pay attention here. We're given the law so we can see how to worship God. We're given the law so we can see how to worship God. Now, here's the thing. In Christian culture today, we define worship as this, right? Come to service early. Get here for the first 30, 40 minutes. Because what we're gonna do is we're gonna lift up our song and we're gonna lift up our praise and we're gonna come into the house of God and we're gonna sing and hear me. That is worship, but that's not worship exclusively. No, 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 no. Like, like, what, what, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what God is doing is that like, he's saying, look, I'm going to show you a way to live. And for you to live this way, for you to trust in this law, is worship. You know why? Because to submit yourself to this law and to submit yourself to his character is costly. I know all of you know that. Walk into your school right now. You make clear to everybody that you're a follower of Jesus. Tell me what it'll cost you. Tell me what your peers will tell you. Tell me how the world will begin to label you. There's so many things that are associated with it. It's costly. It's costly to say, you know what? I'm gonna commit myself to my wife and to my wife alone. And it's gonna be costly for her to say, I'm gonna commit myself to my husband and my husband alone. It's, cost, it's costly to honor your father and mother, especially when it's like they seem out to lunch, right? It's costly. It's costly for you to not worship anything else. It's costly for you to say that you're gonna submit your life to God. It's costly. And, and so when we begin to talk about this, I, 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 we, we got to break down kind of like this, this structure where we say worship means that like I'm singing and I'm dancing. No, 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 no. Worship is a life submitted to God in every area of your life. You worship God in the way you go to school. You worship God in the way you get up in the morning, in the way you lay your head down at night. You worship God in the way you treat your siblings, in the way you handle your relationships. You worship God in the way you eat your food. You worship God in the way you handle your finances. You worship God in the way you invest your time. Are you with me? We're given the law because this gives us a really clear-cut, black-and-way method of worship to the Lord where we can say, okay, for me to live my life as a living sacrifice before God means that I would submit my life to this. Number three, why, do, why are we given the law? Is because the law exposes and provokes sin. Follow with me here. The law provo- or, or exposes and provokes sin. Now, if you were here last week, Mark gave this analogy, uh, and I'll kind of shift the analogy to my own understanding here. If, if, if I were to take you and let, let's say you have something going on inside your body, 
and something's wrong and you don't know what's wrong. And what you need to do is, is you, you go to the doctor and they kind of give you a checkup and they go, okay, we can't really see anything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a CAT scan. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at what's going on inside your body. So they put you on a CAT scan and they put you through the machine and it goes through the machine and it says, okay, you got a brain tumor going on. And you come out and it pulls out. So they pull up the sheet and they say, hey, this is what's going on. The CAT scan showed us that, that you got a brain tumor. Here, here's, here's what's happening. Is that CAT scan machine showed you what was wrong, but it can't fix what is wrong. Are you with me? This is what the law does, is when God gives the law, he gives us the ability to go, okay, no, no, this is what sin is doing to your life. This is what destruction looks like. This is what death looks like. This is what separation looks like. The law can't fix that. It can simply expose it. But it doesn't just expose our sin. It provokes our sin. If you go to Romans, Paul begins to talk about this where he's going, look, there's something about, there's something about the law that's, it's, it's not just, the word he uses is it arouses sin up. And here's why. If I were to take a three-year-old and set him on the stage who just loves candy, okay? And I were to put a plate of candy in front of them, okay? And then I were to say, okay, I know you love candy, but you can't have any of this. You can't eat any of it. And I walked out of the room. What do you think is going to rage as a desire in that three-year-old? To eat the candy, right? Right, it's like, it's like, oh my goodness. It's like, it's like, I mean, it was all well and good, but then you put it in front of my face. Have you ever seen these like, these like deals on YouTube where like, where like, usually it's with a dog, right? Where they like put a bone in front of the dog and the owner's like, no. And they like walk out of the room and the dog is just like looking at the bone. And he's like, whack, and he's like waiting for the owner, waiting for the owner, waiting for the owner. And then it's like, forget it. And he just takes the bone, right? This is what the law does is, is it kind of sets before us, okay, like here's what you can't have. And when we hear something that we can't have, all of a sudden we want it, right? And it doesn't just do that. As you continue to read in Romans, what Paul's talking about here is he's saying, look, that's not the only thing. When God gives us the law, what Israel begins to do is they try to use the law incorrectly. They begin to, to try to take the law and say, let us use this law to give us a grounds to establish our own righteousness. So here's, here's, here's what we see uh, the nation of Israel and what we see the Pharisees doing in the New Testament. They take the law and they start using it as a grid to compare themselves to others, right? We all know these type of Christians, right? Where they walk in the room and they think they're all that in a bag of chips, right? Like they, they have their stuff together. They have a right to be there. Like, like they, they kind of have their, their head held high because they feel like they kind of got their lives morally in shape. And then they, when they look at you, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was better than you sort of a deal. And this is what Paul's saying. He's, he's saying, what the law does is it just provokes our pride. It makes, us, it makes us feel, when we use it incorrectly, it kind of becomes this grounds to like make us feel better. And what does that do? It provokes our sin. It arouses our ego. So the law, the law exposes sin and it provokes sin. But that's not the only thing that the law does. The law shows us the actual way to flourish in life. 
I want you to hear me. I think most people, especially when we get to the 10 commandments, like I said at the beginning, the, the predominant assumption is, okay, here comes the killjoy part of God, right? Here comes the part of God where it's like, okay, he's telling us everything that we can't do. Oh, that God in heaven, he just doesn't want me to have any sexual fun. I don't get to have sex with whoever I want. You never hear a pastor say that in church, <laughs> right? It's like, I, I can't stand that. Like, and, and all of a sudden, God becomes the killjoy of sex rather than the creator of it, right? Like all of a sudden, he's become this presence of what you can't do and this reason for what you can't do rather than showing you there's actually a way to live in his good earth that he created and he wants to show you how. And so instead of it being the Lord going, no, you can't do that, it's a father going, let me show you the best way to live in the way I intended you to live. Let me show you, you want sex to be the best that it ever could be? The best that sex could ever be is within the confines of a marriage between one man and one woman. He's like, let me show you why this is the best place. The world's gonna tell you like, no, 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 that limits you. You gotta have like self-control when you do that. And like, like you, you're like limiting yourself to that. Like, no, no, you should, you should express yourself. And he's going, no, 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 you don't understand. Because if, if, if you go and find sex here, you're gonna find with it unconditional love, sacrificial love. You're gonna find it having to be an expression of intimacy rather than just something that feels good. You're gonna find it having to be costly rather than cheap. And here's the thing, you can't see that apart from the goodness of God. And this is kind of what the law does. It, it exposes our sin, it provokes our sin. When it begins to show us this way of life, this is where like the law becomes really, really difficult for many of us because hear me, the world hates that. The world hates that this could be, that this could be a, a, a method by which the God of the universe is teaching us to live when in fact it's different than the way the rest of the world wants to live. And what he's saying is he's going, no, I want to show you what life at its best looks like. This is what the law does, it, is it gives us a glimpse. And here's, here's why I say glimpse. Have you ever been on social media and you, you, you're pulling it up and you're scrolling and you got that friend who's in, I don't know, Cancun, Mexico, <laughs> and their family has lots of money and they're like on the beach and they're just living the good life. And you're watching it and it's like, they've, they've posted all these photos and all these selfies and they got all this like good food and it just looks fun. And here's the thing, when, you, when, you're, when you're scrolling it on social media, you can see it, but you can't have it, right? Like this is like the crutch of social media. It's like, oh, that looks so good, but I can't have it, right? And here's what happens when we get the lot, God shows us this good life, but then here's the problem we begin to read the law and go, oh, I don't have the ability to maintain that or keep up with that. All of a sudden we're reading law and it's exposing our sin. We're going like, oh, as I read this, I'm going, oh, I fell short here and I fell short there and I fell short here and I fell short there and I'm not even close to right there. And my goodness, just yesterday, like this is how I address. And all of a sudden you begin to realize like how broken you are. And so all of a sudden you get this glimpse of, oh, that, 
that sounds good in theory, but it's not my reality. Enter in the person of Jesus Christ. Because here's what the law ultimately does, is it leads us to the foot of the cross. Can I get the worship team back up here? It leads us to the foot of the cross. Here's what the law does, is it shows you how incapable of being good we really are. It shows us that we have a problem. I hear me. When we talk about sin, oftentimes sin and the sin nature can be used intertwined in church. And I think it's good at times for us to delegate what we're talking about. You do not, do you, not you do not sin because you do bad things. Listen to me. You're not a sinner because you do bad things. You do bad things, we do broken things because we're sinners. Are you with me? So it's not that I lied, hear me. It would be that I'm a liar. It would be that this is my nature. This is who I am, hear me, apart from God. This is who I am apart from God. And what the law is doing is it's saying, look, Tim, apart from God, this is your reality. This is your reality. You're somebody who wants to be your own God. You're somebody who wants to define what's right and what, what's wrong. Apart from God, you want to live your own truth. Apart from God, you think you know what's best. Apart from God, this is what you would choose. No, nobody wants to choose submission. Nobody wants to choose obedience. Nobody wants to choose something that's costly. You know how I know this? Is nobody like waits to buy things anymore. Like we want something, we pull up our phone, it's like bam, tomorrow, it's gotta be mine. We, we, it's like instant gratification. We want it. And what the law does is the law goes, look, apart from God, you have no ability to find or to see or to experience the good life. So what does the law do? Why did God give the law in the Old Testament? I mean, why, like we're in Exodus 20. Look, like, look, 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 look. That's the front of the Bible. Look how much we gotta go through. Look how much we gotta go through before we get to this man named Jesus. You know what all of this is? This is God showing humanity, what does life look like apart from me? You know what all this is? It's, it's, it's us seeing that we do not have the ability to find salvation on our own. You know what all this is? It's showing us how weak of a people we are apart from our creator. When we embrace what was created over the one who created it, that's what, this is what we experience when we're watching Israel go through the time of the judges, when we're watching Israel in exile, and we're watching them like try to figure out this law thing, but they can't get it together. Then we get to the New Testament, and it's like, oh, could we do it? No, we're not even close. We're not even close. But you know who did do it perfectly? You know who did fulfill the law? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus.
where Paul says in Romans, you know where sin abounded because the law exposed it and it was provoked? Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Why? The whole, the whole purpose of this is for God to go, look, you can't do it, but I can do it. And so here's the invitation. The invitation of the gospel is for you to not trust in yourself or trust in your own understanding. The invitation of the gospel is for you not to try to fulfill this on your own. The invitation of the gospel is for you to fix your eyes on the one who has it all taken care of in and of himself. The invitation of the gospel is for us to go, okay, wait a minute. Instead of trying to live my life by the letter of the law, I'm gonna live my life submitted to the person of Jesus Christ. And instead of me trying to live this life, I'm going to embrace Christ living through me. Grady, can we bring down the lights? Make it pretty dark if you can. Can you bow your head for me? Why did God give us the law? You know, I heard a pastor say one time that the law is actually the character and nature of God. When we wanna know, okay, like, what are the things that God values? What are the things that God cares about? We look at the law. That's why the psalmist says meditate on the law of the Lord. Fix your mind upon it. Why? Because when we do, we're catching a glimpse of what our creator values, what our creator calls good, what our creator calls bad. And the temptation here I think is for us to run to this place of, okay, like I'm gonna try to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to make it happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, to do this thing well. And that was Israel's temptation too. Let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. And yet we get to the New Testament and the invitation of the gospel is actually don't put your hope or trust in your ability to fulfill the law. Put your trust and your hope in the person named Jesus Christ. And so here's what I wanna do tonight. I wanna invite you to trust in God. I wanna invite you to trust in him. I'm gonna end tonight with the same way we began. I wanna read this text over you one more time. I wanna read it over you one more time. And I want you to listen to these words I want you to listen to these words as an invitation from the Lord. So you go, okay, wait, oh, this is what God values. Oh, this is God showing me a way to worship, a way to follow, a way to trust. And you know what I've found when you trust in God? kind of seems that it takes like the air away from fear and anxiety. 
when we put our trust in God all of a sudden and we don't have to be the ones who are determining what's right and wrong. We don't have to be the ones with the hands on the steering wheel. All of a sudden we experience him as one who takes on burdens for us, who takes on weights that we're not intended to carry. So with that being said, head bowed, eyes closed. Listen to this word again. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God, or I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Hear what the Lord values. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that you would fear him and that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thickness to the thick darkness where God was. Lord, we welcome your presence here. We thank you that you love us enough to share with us what you value, what you care about. And in doing so, you gave us a way to embrace this life. You gave us a way to live. You gave us a way to breathe. 
and his name is Jesus. And so, Lord, we welcome you here tonight. We want to trust you. We need to trust you. Father, I pray that we would not see a God who is limiting, but a God who is inviting this evening. Would you reframe the way we see you in the person of Jesus Christ here tonight? We need more of you less of ourselves and as we look into the law of the Lord we see our brokenness and yet simultaneously see your wholeness we see our sin but we see your perfection we see our frailty and we see your holiness and you offer us all of that in the person of Jesus so would you help us to let go and to trust you. Would you stand with me, friends? As we go into this worship song, I want to invite you to do the same thing that I invited our junior high students to do this last weekend. I just want you to take a moment of self-reflection and identify, okay, where in my life Am I not wanting to submit to God? Where in your life might be you, 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 you don't want to trust him. You don't want to give him control. And what I want to invite you to do tonight as we worship with this last song is simply give that to him. Give it to him. And let him define what's life and death for you. So that being said, let's worship.